So it's been an interesting week for us. Four of our five kids have been sick this week. And so the, they're recovering. We've had some flu. We've had some other stuff we hadn't identified yet. Um, and uh, so I use a lot, I'm just telling you, if you shook my hand, I used a lot of hand sanitizer. Um, and they're mostly better. We just kept them away today because it was, it was honestly like what I believe the beginning of a zombie apocalypse would be like in my house. Like every day, one more fell. And we were just suddenly like wondering if we were ever going to be able to get through it. So, uh, yeah. But so they're not here, but they're here in spirit. Um, today, we're actually going to begin... Uh, oh, one more thing before we begin. If you look around the room, uh, this, this service, the 1045, is growing and growing and growing. We have lots and lots of people, and we're running out of chairs. Um, so one of the things uh, that we've talked about amongst our leadership at times is if you're a part of this gathering and you're a, a grace pointer, like you're here all the time, this is your community, if you are available and would consider coming to the 9 o'clock, um, that would free up some seats also for this gathering because, as you can see, there's not a whole, whole lot of them. So if this is the only gathering you can come to and this is your thing, like, please don't not come. Um, we just want to free up as many seats as possible for the folks who need to be here, who want to be here, who need this community and aren't here yet. So um, we're always thinking about, like, how do we invite more people into this? Uh, and one of those ways is to give them a chair. So um, <laughs> pretty simple, right? Like, you may want to sit down at some point. Um, we're going to start a new series today. It's a new year, um, and it's a good time of year to think about rhythm, about the way we live our lives. And so we're going to be looking in this series at some transformational practices that for those of us who've gone through a deconstruction and, and maybe not a reconstruction or on their way trying to, to create some sort of new normal when it comes to our faith and our beliefs, um, that some of these things we don't know what to do with anymore. What do you do with prayer when some of the ways you were taught to think about prayer have proven to be unhelpful or even a little deceptive at times. How do you think about the Bible? What do we do with the Bible as people who recognize that the Bible sometimes has some issues and, and how do we engage those things? And so we're going to gather around these topics for several weeks um, as we begin the year. But I want to begin just by today, I'm going to introduce the topic of a, a, a rhythm uh, called Sabbath, and we'll get to that in a minute. But before that, I just want to introduce the idea of rhythm. So I looked up a couple definitions of rhythm just to sort of see what was in there. Um, rhythm is an ordered, recurrent alternation of strong and weak elements in the flow of sound and silence in speech. So it's this sound, silence, on, off. Another definition, the aspect of music comprising all the elements such as accent, meter, and tempo that relate to forward movement. So I kind of mashed those together and came up with this one. When we talk about rhythm, we're talking about the alternation of strong and weak, sound and silence that moves everything forward. For things to move forward, you don't need just sound, you also need silence. You don't need to just be strong, you also need weakness. You don't need to just be on, at times you also need to be off. And so we're going to explore what does it look like to live with a sense of rhythm. And I want to begin this series with a bit of a confession. One of the things I've often heard, and it's been attributed to lots of people, but the quote is this, you can't take somebody somewhere you haven't been. How many of you have heard this before? You can't lead somebody somewhere you've never been. I believe that is absolutely false. Every week as a pastor, I get up and try to take people somewhere I haven't been. Right? Somewhere I haven't arrived at to yet. Um, it's a journey. It's a process. So for me, this series is going to be as much learning as teaching. And I have to say, so the, the big confession is I often lack rhythm in my life. When it comes to music especially, um, I love... 
I love music so much. Like, I, I really do. I, I love it. I love music so much. And I love singing in the car. And I just love the whole thing. I also have zero rhythm. I, I honestly have taken entire rooms and bands off beat with my clapping. <laughs> that is my superpower. And often people will look at me if I'm not clapping when everybody else is clapping. They're like, what's he mad about? I'm not mad. I'm doing you a solid. I am not trying to ruin this experience for you. I, I literally can't do it, especially when you start like stomping your feet and clapping your hands. Some of you can do this, right? And you're doing both, and I'll be doing it, and then I start thinking how, it's like when Wally Coyote runs off the cliff, and he's standing there, and he doesn't fall until he realizes it's what I'm going. I'm doing it. I'm doing No, you're not doing it, and it's off, and it ruins everything for everybody. So I, I struggle with rhythm when it comes to music. I also struggle with rhythm when it comes to life at times. Uh, sometimes I'm so busy and I've got so many plates spinning and I'm moving so fast in so many different directions and trying to do all the things and I'm shocked when the plates fall and crash to the floor. I'm like, what, what happened? Why, why wasn't I able to do that? Let me give you a prime <laughs> example of this. So uh, last Sunday afternoon, I was heading to a meeting and I went to get in my car and when I got in my car and started, I realized I forgot something I needed. So I went back into the house, but when I got out of the car, it did that rude, aggressive beep thing where you take, when you've taken the key out of the car. And so I didn't want to have to take the time to open the door back up because that would have been like 1.5 seconds. And so what I did is I just set the key on the hood and on the, yeah, the hood. And I said, don't forget the key. I said it out loud as if talking to someone. Don't forget the key. Run inside, get what I need, come back, jump in the car, peel out, drive over. I drove over to Kroger. I was going to the, this meeting, so I was going to buy a $2.99 bottle of wine because I'm fancy. And so I pulled into Kroger, and I stopped, and I pushed the button to turn my car off, and then it hits me. Where's, oh, the key. So I tried to start it back, and it just gave me that taunting little key thing that was flashing, like, key's not in here, bud. And I realized I'm, I was two miles from home. I was two miles from home. And my key is somewhere on the road or in a ditch or in the weeds between here and there. So I did what any rational person would have done. I went ahead and bought the bottle of wine, came back outside and ordered an Uber <laughs> who picked me up, took me to my house, waited for me to go in and get the spare key. The spare key, by the way, which is malfunctioning because I accidentally washed it a month ago. <laughs> That's why we can't have nice things. It, <laughs> And so I end, up, I end up coming back out, getting in the car. The, the, the guy driver, the driver was nice. I mean, he, drove, he terrified me with the way he was driving. But he was very nice that he was like going slow at period points so I could look in the weeds and see if I could see anything. And so tomorrow I go to the dealership and get a brand new key, um, which is not free. Don't let him tell you it is. Uh, I don't like rhythm. I mean, that was a classic example of me moving faster than I could think, right? I'm just trying to do all the things. I'm trying to get everything done. And then in some ways, it's when you're doing that and everything comes undone that you realize, maybe I've got an issue here. And then I thought, this would be a great story to tell next Sunday when I try to explain how much struggle. Uh, we live also in a time when we're all really, really stressed out. I mean, if you look at statistics and studies, you'll find that most people in this country have a sense of stress about something. Um, the uh, APA, the American Psychological Association, released a study called Stress in America, and here's what they said were some of our stressors. 56% of Americans are stressed about the 2020 presidential election, which leads to the question, what about the rest of them? <laughs> like, why are there people... I, I mean, seriously, who's looking going, this is fine. Uh, we, uh, 
63, 63% are uh, stressed about the future of the nation. 43% about healthcare, and I think when you read the study, it's about not only access to healthcare, but affordable healthcare, and not just access to affordable healthcare, but surprise medical bills and all the things that come with the whole healthcare ball of wax. Uh, 35% about the economy, 32% are stressed about trust in government, 31% are stressed about hate crimes and crime in general. 30, this was before last week, so this, I, I'm guessing this next number would be slightly elevated. 30% uh, of wars, conflicts with other countries, and also terrorist attacks. So I think when you look at those, if your thing's not on there, I bet there are still, you're not alone. I bet whatever it is that's stressing you out, other people are stressed out about it too. And stress has this interesting way of affecting us. It, it affects us mentally, of course. I mean, my, my, whatever stress I was dealing with last week is why I didn't think about the thing I need to do. It affects us emotionally, it affects us physically. Uh, I think many of us, if you know like the, the sort of the hormones that get released in our body, cortisol and adrenaline and those sorts of things, like I think we run on adrenaline and we run on cortisol far more than we don't. And we just aren't designed to run on that all the time. Who's ever, how many of you ever snapped at somebody over something that had nothing to do with them? The rest of you are saints. Like never, do, no, never. Yeah, yeah. It's because we're moving so fast, we're doing so much, we're spinning so many plates. And the reality of it is we're not, in rhythm, we're out of rhythm. So my hope is that this series will be a way for us together, because I'm not an expert on this, I really am learning as we go together, that this will be a way for us to find a little bit of rhythm in our own lives, and a little bit of rhythm as a community. And I, you know, I just think there's something to a person, like have you ever been around somebody who's really balanced as a human being, and, and you can tell that they have good rhythms in their lives, and that there's something, they're grounded in some sort of way that you're not, like I feel that way when I'm around certain people sometimes. I'm like, what do they have that I don't? And largely, if you talk to them, they have some sort of set of practices that keep them grounded, that keep them in rhythm, and then enable them to grow and flourish in the world in the ways that everybody wants to grow and flourish in the world. I want to begin that discussion today by talking about this thing called Sabbath. And if you've never heard of it, um, how many of you have heard of Black Sabbath? <laughs> yeah. It's not that. Uh, it's, it's different, and we'll talk about it in a minute. But I want to begin in the beginning, uh, in Genesis chapter 1. There are two creation stories at the beginning of the book of Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 1 is this creation story that's geared around days of creation. And so it begins like this. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea, and God's wind swept over the waters. God said, let there be light. And so light appeared. God saw how good the light was. God separated the light from the darkness. God named the light day and the darkness night. There was evening and there was morning the first day. So day one, let there be light. And then the, the writer ends with there was evening and morning the first day. Notice the rest of Genesis 1, the days of creation. There was evening and morning the second day, evening and morning the third day, evening and morning. You, you see a sense of pattern here. With every day of creation, it's sort of summed up in there was evening, there was morning, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day. There's some sort of rhythm to the creative process here where something's being brought into existence and it's, it's got a cadence, it's got a drumbeat to it, it's, got, it's going somewhere. And then in Genesis chapter 2, we get the tail end of this creation story. The heavens and the earth and all who live in them were completed. On the sixth day, God completed all the work that God had done. And on the seventh day, God rested from all the work that God had done. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work of creation. So there's this rhythm of create, 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 create. And then at the end of this creation process, there's sort of this stillness where God rests from the creative work. 
God makes, God makes, God makes, God makes, God makes, and then God sits back to enjoy what God has made. God steps back from sort of the creative moment and says, oh. And actually the sixth day ends with God looking at what God is doing and going, this is very good. Not just good, not just eh, very good. And so God, in this particular creation story, establishes this day, this day of rest and recharging from all of the labor of the week. There are six days that they do all this work, that we do all this work, and then there's this one day, which is a day of rest. Now, if you've ever studied, how many of you have ever had, been in a discussion with somebody about the Ten Commandments and how they want them posted everywhere? Okay. Can I give you a little tidbit that you can use on them next time? Because this relates to what I'm going to talk about. Ask them which version. Because there are three different, at least, versions of the Ten Commandments in the Torah. There's one in Exodus 20, there's one in Deuteronomy 5, and there's one in the book of Numbers. Uh, and they all have some differences. The one in the book of Numbers looks like they had no idea that this other two existed. It's just like very different. But I want to show you this sort of the way that the ancient Hebrews, ancient Israelites worked out this six days in one day. Notice Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day. Now Sabbath is, uh, is a Hebrew word there. It's called Shabbat. How many of you heard Shabbat? Uh, Shabbat essentially just means to cease. So remember the day of ceasing and treat it as holy. Six days you may work and do all your tasks, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work on it, not you, your sons or daughters, your male or female servants, your animals, or the immigrant who is living with you, because the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that was in them in six days, but rested on the seventh day. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So in this telling of the Ten Commandments, here's the invitation. And I, I do believe this is more invitation than commandment, right? I mean, you, anybody ever tried to command your kids to chill out? How does that go for you? Right? So this is not, just chill out. This is an invitation into a different way of thinking about the world, into a different way of being human in the world. And what I find so interesting is it's not just the, the sort of, in this context, the patriarchal family where you have the patriarchal male and then the spouse and the kids and all that. This is also your servants, i.e., in this context, it probably would mean slaves. They get the day. And also your animals. Don't work your animals on the Sabbath because God created everything in six days and rested on the seventh. Now, if you go to Deuteronomy 5, uh, this is interesting. It's the same command invitation, but it changes a bit. Keep the Sabbath day and treat it as holy, exactly as the Lord your God commanded. Six days you may work and do all your tasks, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Don't do any work on it. Not you, your sons or daughters, your male or female servants, your oxen or donkeys or any of your animals or the immigrant who is living among you so that your male and female servants can rest just like you. Next. Remember that you were a slave in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That's why the Lord commands you to keep the Sabbath day. The first one, it was, well, six days you work and one day you rest. That's built into the fabric of creation. A time of ceasing, a time of stopping, a time of being off, a time of disengagement follows all the on, all the engagement, all the work. Right? And, and then this one, it says, remember you were slaves in Egypt and you, you know what it's like to not be honored. You know what it's like to be seen as just somebody to produce. Don't do that. And even now, your servants, your animals, you give them all a day off because it's a reminder that we're grounded and, and that something larger than us is going on here. I don't believe this is a command as much as I believe it's an invitation. 
And as corny as it sounds, I think it's calling us back to be reminded that we are not ultimately human doings, that we aren't just what we produce, that we aren't just how much money we make, that we aren't, how, how, we aren't just how great that presentation we gave at work was. That's not our identity. Our identity is not grounded in what we produce, and yet it's hard in our society, this capitalist society, which is always kind of inviting us to pursue more, right? This society that's always saying, yeah, yeah, but why should you be here? Anybody ever felt like you had to prove why you should exist? Right? And this, this invitation is saying, no, 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 no. But don't get swallowed into that trap of having to prove why you're here, why you deserve a seat at the table, why you somehow matter in the grand scheme of things. You matter because you were created in the image of God. You matter because you bear the imprint of the divine on you, in you, just by your sheer existence. I mean, think about this, friends. We, we do not generally, babies don't come into the world and we go, okay, why are you here? Prove, prove why you should be here and why we should take any time for you. Right? That's not how it works. That's not how it works. You enter into creation and you are blessed and you are beloved and you are absolutely valid and you absolutely should be here. That's what we're being invited. We're not human doings. Sometimes we get to the end of the checklist and we feel like we've accomplished a lot, but yet also what's going on inside of us? Because we were made to be human beings. We were made to be humans who are around and doing more and made for more than just completing to-do lists, than just getting the next tax, task done, than just getting the next paycheck, than just doing the next thing. And I gotta tell you, years ago when I tried to implement a, a Sabbath, um, it was hard. It was hard because uh, what I found out really quickly was how bored I get really easily. Um, and it, you know, I, my 10 year old has about everything electronic or toy, like whatever he, he could possibly imagine. And Netflix, can you imagine Netflix when you were a kid? That would have changed everything. Um, and yet he'll come up and go, I'm bored. What? I'd love to be bored. But back then, when I was first meddling around with Sabbath, I found out that I was really bored by the end of the day. It was like watching paint dry, because I'm not supposed to do anything. I'm just supposed to sit here and just not... I actually don't think that's what Sabbath is about. I don't think Sabbath is about pulling back and doing nothing at all and just sort of watching the paint dry and waiting for the hours to pass in the longest day in human history, right? Like, that's how it feels. I think Sabbath... If we take a creative approach, it's more about asking the question, what is it that brings me life? When I've been plugged in all week and energy has been you know, zapped out of me, what is it that if I plugged back into it, it would fill me up and give me a renewed sense of, all right, there's more work to do in the world, now I can go do it because I've had something poured back into me? All right, and it, I think in some ways we, we kind of feel like it's a little bit selfish to practice Sabbath, and yet... The reality is, is that you can't give a cold drink from an empty well. And the more we're giving out, the more we're draining out of us, and the more we need to have put back into us. And Sabbath is this invitation that says, look, you're not a human doing, you're a human being. Look, you matter and you're valid. There is nothing to prove. And so, yes, you work hard, you do all the six, whatever it is for you, you do that work. And then when the work is done, you pause, you cease from that work, and you do something that gives you energy and gives you life. Um, I, I know people, and we actually had one person at the 9 o'clock service who's still in the building somewhere who, I said, I actually know people who enjoy mowing their yard. Is anybody like that? I don't, I don't understand you. 
I have to take a Benadryl if I'm over the yard, and you're all out there just enjoying yourselves. Uh, right? So I think when we get to this like legalistic, you can't do this, 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 and this. Well, what if mowing the yard brings somebody joy? What if that time alone on the mower, listening to podcasts, whatever, uh, what if that is something that fills them up in a way that nothing else does? So work looks different for different people, right? The things that are drawing things out of us, the things that are making demands on us, the things that are draining us, look different depending on who you are. So in my mind, what Sabbath becomes is not the day to do nothing. It's a day to only do the things that pour life and energy and wholeness and flourishing back into you as a human being so that you can go back out into your world and you can begin to share that and invest that and do that and then come back and do it again. I've been preaching for 20-some years now. I started noticing at one point this, ha- this thing that always happened, that on Monday mornings, I would just be exhausted, and no matter how the day before had gone, I would be almost completely hopeless. Like, the world is falling apart, and it's all bad. If you've ever worked on a church staff and had to do a Sunday, you, you kind of know that experience. I know a lot of you have. That's, that's a real human experience, and so I was talking to a counselor about it, and I was like, you know, every Monday morning... I'm just completely just done with the world, and I'm exhausted. I just feel like I could cry half the time. What's wrong with me? He said, nothing's wrong with you. You've geared yourself all week to this major output of energy, and then it's over, and you're crashing, and you've got to put that energy back in you somehow. It's like, oh, that makes sense. I wish I'd have heard this 15 years ago, because right, maybe some of that would have gone differently. What you expend has to be put back in. So I want to ask a few questions, and then I want to give you a few suggestions as we, enter, as we think about how we as, a, as individuals, as a community, might try to engage this Sabbath idea. First, do we have a healthy mix, a healthy rhythm of work and rest, or work and play? Does that rhythm exist in your life? Do you feel like at the end of the day, you're always exhausted? I mean, the thing that used to happen is we used to talk about the weather. Like when we were meeting somebody, or we didn't know what to say to somebody, like, hey, how's it going? Crazy weather we're having. And then they would say something about the weather, and suddenly everybody's a meteorologist, right? Like we all know. Now what I've noticed in myself and in others, what often comes up when we're like, how are you doing? Gosh, just really, really busy. Just got a lot going on. Oh, it's all good. It's all good. All good busy, but still busy. Like, and then you're like, who are you trying to sell on this good busy, right? Like, who, who are you trying to convince? Uh, And I think that there's a certain amount of that that's telling. Do we have a healthy mix, a healthy rhythm of work to play, of work to rest? Do we feel guilty if we take an afternoon off to do something we enjoy? Do we feel like, oh, I'm shirking my responsibilities, I should be doing this, I should be doing, shoulds are like the worst. I should be doing this, I should be doing that. And here I am at the movies eating a tub of popcorn alone, right? Like that that, that sort of like, I, I shouldn't be here, I should be somewhere else. Do we have a healthy rhythm um, and, and maybe the way of ask, finding that out is asking the people around you who live around you, who know you, who experience you on a regular basis and say, do you see me as a person who has a healthy rhythm, a healthy mix of work and play? Uh, next, do we recognize that we actually have limits? Do we recognize that we have limits? I know that you don't maybe feel like it sometimes, but you and I both eventually will hit that wall or we have nothing left to give. We will run out we will hit our expiration date. Do we recognize that we have limits? And usually one of the ways we recognize it is when we get sick, right? Because we've been work, 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 do, 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 take care of, take care of, take care of, nurse, 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 everybody around us, and then all of a sudden we realize we're exhausted and we wake up and we're sick. 
And there are moments where I think it's a physiological response to an addiction to, do, to doing where our body says, you know what? If you're not going to take a break, I'm going to get one for you, <laughs> right? And so do we recognize those limits before we have to hit that wall and the limits find us? Um, do we know that we recognize we aren't endless energy? My kids being sick this week, I felt so bad for them. The only silver lining is that they've been a little more calm. Because right now they have endless energy. Um, but when you grow up, you don't. And eventually that becomes, you become like, oh, why am I so tired all the time? Anybody else have that experience? Why am I so tired all the time? It's because we're not made of endless energy. And to put it this way, if we think about it through like a Eucharist lens, do we recognize that whatever has been poured out, broken open and poured out, needs to be put back together and poured back in? That you can't give from an empty well. That you, you can't nourish if you're malnourished. Um, one of the things for me that has been, was, was really interesting was getting on the airplane for the first time with my son when he was like four. And uh, I've run on airplanes a lot. And being on them, I, I typically tune out the... If you're, if you're here and you're a flight attendant, you didn't hear that part. I typically tune it out. Like, I just put my, you know, just lay back, listen to music or whatever while they're doing the, the, the spiel. I know how to get out of the plane, I think. Maybe. Uh, but the first time he was on there, like, I was super aware of him and what he was doing. And I remember them, fi- I was finally paying attention. And they, they said, now, if we, the cabin depressurizes, you'll, the oxygen mask will fall out. And you gen- gently, and then you put it on. And they tell me in this airplane that I'm supposed to put my mask on first. And then his mask, which sounds dumb in theory. And yet the point is, if, I don't, if I'm not breathing oxygen and I pass out, I can't help him ensure that he's breathing oxygen. There is not a selfish decision to make to take care of yourself. It is not a selfish decision to say, I have poured myself out for others. I have poured myself out in work. I have poured myself out in the creative process. And now is a time for that to be poured back into me. That's not selfish, it's actually one of the most selfless things you can do so that you can keep creating, keep loving, keep serving, keep pouring yourself out to others. And so, three things, three suggestions that that may be recommendations that maybe help us. I would say first, start small. I'm an Enneagram 7, we don't know what this means. Um, So, I'm the type of person who when I get the new meditation app, instead of starting at two minutes, I just wanna clock it in for an hour and a half just to see what happens, and like, like three minutes in, I'm like, well, I'm just clearly not made for meditation, and I'm done, right? Like that's, but what, what if you started at two minutes? <laughs> right, so, so what if, if, if a whole day seems like that's just unreasonable with my current life? Let me ask you, what, what, about, what about an hour? What about blocking off, putting boundaries around one hour and protecting them ruthlessly? To say, this is my hour, I'm gonna go to lunch, I'm going to go do this thing. I'm going to take a walk in the park. I'm going to, whatever that thing is, that, I'm going to try to go cut like my lawn and like, whatever that is for you. I'm going to take this time and I'm going to pour back into myself. And maybe for you, it's like, gosh, an hour seems okay, 30 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever that looks like, taking time to remember that you aren't what you produce, that you aren't uh, valued because you can do this thing or do that thing. You are valued and you need to be here just because you're here and you're a beloved creation of God. What does it look like to start small and just say, I'm going to baby step this thing to the point where I maybe can get up to a whole day, or maybe I can actually take a vacation someday where I'm actually on vacation, right? Like, what, what if we started small? Let's say, be kind to yourself. Jesus talked about loving your neighbor, but, but he talked about loving your neighbor 
as yourself. And I, I think we really get on with that idea of loving our neighbor a lot better at times than we do with loving ourselves. But again, when we're empty, we can't be nourishing and providing and loving the people around us well. So be kind to yourself. Don't talk bad about you, especially behind your own back. That would just be the worst thing. Um, and then seek to be present. Uh, we, we live in a very disconnected world where we, and I'm, I'm guilty of this a lot, where there's stuff going around, there's people at the table around me, and I'm answering emails, or I'm doing whatever I'm doing, and I'm somewhere else. Let that day, that time, that hour, whatever it is, let yourself be present to the people around you. Let yourself be present to your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions. Let yourself be present to whatever it is that is wanting to happen, that's inviting you into that space. Like be, be present. Be aware. Realize that having the ability to take even 10-minute break is a gift. That being poured into is a gift. And, and being the one to pour out is a gift. But knowing that you need to be poured into before you can pour out. Jesus has this great line in, I think, Matthew 11, where he says, um, come, to, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's really different than a lot of the ways we grew up thinking about religion. Religion wasn't about getting us, we'll, we'll only rest over yonder, right? When we get to heaven someday, then we'll rest. Right now, we're working for the Lord, and you know you're serious if you act miserable about it, right? Like, that's how you know you're really spiritual, um, one, of, uh, one of our daughters goes to play therapy, and one of the things they work on at play, it sounds really cool, I could use this help too, but uh, they work on putting emo- words to your emotions. Are you happy? Are you sad? Whatever. And she's developed this new habit of asking us, especially if, if we're happy, if we're stressed, whatever, she'll come up and she'll say, Daddy, you happy? You happy? I'm like, now? You're cute. <laughs> right? But, but for her, there's this sense of, are you happy? Do you have joy? Are you somehow being, pouring yourself out and yet also able to put enough back in to then pour out some more? I think what Jesus is saying to us is, are you happy? Are you exhausted? Are you exhausted because of work? Are you exhausted because of conflict? Are you exhausted because of religion? Let's figure this thing out. You don't have to carry that around with you. That's not yours to carry. If you take a day off, the world will keep spinning. <gasps> And that motorcycle will keep motorcycling or whatever it was, right? If, if you take a break, everything will still be there when you get back. No one's going to do it for you. But you might be a different person. I might be a different person. If we know when to hit pause and when to cease and when to jump into something that just brings joy, delight, and hope. Are you with me? Oh, yeah. Sabbath is not a burdensome command. It is a generous, compassionate gift if we're willing to receive it. I'm going to invite the band to come on back up, and we're going to have another song, and then uh, let's pray. God, we are grateful that built into our tradition is this invitation to rest. There's a challenge to, yes, work and create, bring things into existence, and then there's a moment to step back from all that, a moment to turn off, a moment to unplug, a moment to disconnect, a moment to calm and to find those things that give us life and sustain us, those things that make us feel like we're flourishing as human beings. And we're grateful that this is part of our tradition, that this is, this is what we're being invited into. So give us the courage in whatever ways we need to, in whatever ways we can, to take up this rhythm of Sabbath, this rhythm of rest. Give us the courage to start even at the smallest increment, 
and let it grow and expand until we are grounded, whole, flourishing, rested and resilient human beings. We love you and we're grateful. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.